0: So as I was preparing for this talk, um, I was looking up things about hypocrites, and uh, there's lots of things that can be said about hypocrites, but the thing that really caught my eye was this meme that kept coming up that said, our church is not full of hypocrites, there's always room for one more. (laughs) I like the twist on the accusation that the church is full of hypocrites. But today's passage, Matthew comes out really swinging at the hypocrites um, because he sees these teachers and scribes who seem to represent something but don't necessarily do it. And in a world that's made cancel culture a thing, I don't know if you're familiar with cancel culture, But it's refreshing to hear Jesus say to the people that they should continue to listen to one of the most ancient, or probably the most ancient and respected teacher of Israel. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were the champions of Moses' teaching. The scribes spent all their time working with the text. They knew every jot and tittle which is the little markings on the text and where it should go, and they made sure that the copies of the text were accurate. The Pharisees were the theologians. The the scribes knew the text really well. the, The Pharisees were the ones that spent their days discussing the meaning of the text. And the Pentateuch, the first five books of our Bible, the books of Moses as they're known, were the primary and foundational sacred texts. So, Jesus is saying to his followers, keep paying attention to what the scribes and the Pharisees are telling you because they're focused on the teachings of Moses. In fact, Jesus is saying, keep so much, paying so much attention to that teaching that you pay even more attention to it than the scribes and Pharisees themselves are paying to it because these teachers were doing the ornamental gestures. They were concentrating on the tassels on their prayer shawls or the phylacteries, the boxes of scripture, little leather boxes that had a bit of scripture in they put them literally on their forehead and on their uh, arms, their wrists because, you know, there's a passage somewhere that says that the, the scripture will be on your forehead and on your wrist which is about thinking and doing and this kind of thing. But they took it literally and put little boxes there but they seemed blissfully unaware of the substantive parts of Moses' teaching. They did the dress-up parts, they took the seats of honour, but what were they doing to ensure the most vulnerable were not being taken advantage of? In what ways were they caring for the strangers and the aliens in the land? So Jesus asked a difficult thing of his followers. He asked them to not follow the example of their teachers. Now this is very counter to our nature. Humans are incredible learners. We are so good at learning and copying is our speciality. We can observe someone and learn their technique, we could learn their language, we could learn their culture, and we can even learn what's most important to them just from observing them. The trick here is that what's actually most important To most people, frequently deviates from what they headline as most important to them. So they'll tell you this is most important, but if you watch their life, other things seem to come to the fore. And it takes meaningful effort to resist the power of a person's example. It's not uncommon these days to hear uh, grown up children talk about utterly rejecting the way their parents have done life, that kind of thing. Yet, most of us discover that there's a deep encoding of our parents' ways within us, and it's much more difficult to escape that encoding than simply repudiating it. Um, My dad never noticeably engaged emotionally with my mother that I can remember. And as I observed that and was growing up, I thought, when I get married, I am going to do marriage differently to the way my mum and dad did it. And even though I've made a really deliberate effort in this regard, I find I continually have to carve my own path to do that. It doesn't come naturally to me. I have no natural encoding around this. So when things get tough and there's a lot going on, I tend to focus more naturally on work because that's what my dad would do. He would retreat into his work. The power of example even in the face of deliberate will to do otherwise, continues to be very, very persuasive and powerful. So who is the one to whom we respond? All the world is a stage and men and women are merely players on it, Shakespeare would tell us, but the audience is everyone all around us, all the time, constantly looking on. We cannot help, and neither is it necessarily completely a bad thing, that we modify our behaviour according to who we perceive is looking on. Joe and Pei and I like to take our dog Frankie for a walk out the weekend, and we often go with Greg, who does our gardens, and his dog Lulu, and we go down to Geber Park at the end of the peninsula, and we have a lot of fun together. One time, Pei bought her little Bluetooth speaker, and we were down at the park, and we attached it to a phone and we played some nice music and we thought we'd get up and have a bit of a dance. There wasn't many people around. And I'm very comfortable with my family and I'm increasingly comfortable with Greg. He's almost like part of the family these days. And we were getting our groove on and having lots of fun. And then Greg pulls out his phone to video it because it was quite funny. And suddenly I couldn't do it anymore because I became aware that potentially there was a much bigger audience and something changed Within me, I wasn't able to be as carefree as it were. So, the audience is really important. And people who have been in Christian discipleship for a long time often speak about the audience of one. And uh, I've thought about that, and over the years that I've known Joe, my wife, um, I've come to realise that she probably is the most important human audience of one that I know. We've travelled through so many ups and downs and uh, I think I can probably cope with pretty much everything if I'm feeling assured that I'm still held by Joe's esteem. That that kind of is very robust for me. And alternatively, it doesn't matter who might be lauding me or saying I'm fantastic, if Joe's not happy with what I'm doing, I just... I feel disconcerted. And I think this is the dynamic we need to discover, but rather with our par- than with our partners, it's a, a sense of how God views us that is really critical. This gives us a sense of freedom from dancing before too many people in the audience, as it were. The path to being liberated from an unhealthy concern of what everyone else might be thinking is to have that sense of God looking on. See, our social evolution deeply informs us that we need the group in order to survive. And human beings, no matter what the current culture might pretend, cannot survive in the form of individuals. So, individualism is a big thing, but it's also profoundly flawed. We can't survive, not physically, not psychologically, not spiritually. And our deepest instincts know this. We automatically defer to the crowd. We perform for the group. We find our place in our society. And our instincts navigate survival really efficiently. Generation upon generation have refined what is needed physically and socially for us to survive. And Jesus' contention is that while we become experts at survival, we know precious little about becoming fully alive, eternally alive. And the deep challenge here is that the path to becoming eternally alive often runs counter to the path of survival. And you can only take the new path if you abandon pursuit of the former one. It's our first nature to do things for an audience. Most of us, in many situations, will behave differently depending on who's watching. As I was saying just a moment ago, I could dance freely with my family and the close friends, but as soon as I thought the audience might change, my whole sense of how I wanted to comport myself changed as well. And I'm sure you know that in your own life as well. Along with uh, who we are in front of, there are, those, There is that sense of... Sorry, let me rephrase. Along with who we are in front of, there is uh, who we want to be when nobody is watching. This is the non-theist way of saying when only God is watching. So who do you want to be when nobody is watching, when only God is watching? That is to ask, who are we when we're not performing in response to the expectations of others or even what is going on in our innermost heart. Priests, ministers, pastors, teachers, parents, we know much about what we're doing is actually a performance of a role. We certainly are endeavouring to form others in particular ways but Much of what we're doing is performing a role in a structure of a community or a family or an organisation or a society. The whole world is a stage and each of us are players on it and we're doing our roles in all of that. But who are we when we walk off stage? In the end, we're not priests or ministers or pastors or teachers or parents or children or lawyers or accountants or engineers or executives or counsellors or auditors or psychologists or anything like that. We are simply people made in the image of God. The roles we act will fall away. The identities we have inhabited will fade. And we are left with our essential humanity, not a value based on our accumulated funds, not a list of achievements we have left behind us, and not even the embodiment of a narrative we have been spending our life spinning. I don't know if you've seen any of the awful images coming out of Turkey and Greece in the last 24 hours. One of the features of our modern world is everybody's got a video camera in their hand, and there's more images of this earthquake than I've ever seen of any earthquake, I think. And as I've watched some of those images, and I feel for those people over there, but I couldn't help but get a sense of how fragile are the constructions of human beings. They look so big and so strong and so permanent until the very ground underneath them starts to move. You know, the funny thing is, on a global scale, an earthquake is the minutest of spatial adjustments. The planet does not noticeably shift in size or shape when there is an earthquake. Even when mountains arise where there were no mountains before or others fall into the sea never to be seen again, there's barely a noticeable glitch on a global scale, right? The earth just continues to be the earth. But for the constructs of humanity, these little movements are devastating. Our world falls apart. All the impressions, all the buildings, all the things we've spent lifetimes or even generations developing can fall away in the blink of an eye if they are not the essence of who we are and what reality is. For we are simply people who have become increasingly formed in the image of God from one degree of glory to another. Or alternatively, we might be people who have been twisted and deformed from God's image as we have sought to evade God's presence and intervention in our lives. Either way, what we are will become apparent to us and others. If we have exalted ourselves and have an exalted view of ourselves, that will be exposed and we will experience a sense of falling into reality and that could be distressing. If we have a a humble or more ground-based view of ourselves, we might experience being lifted up into a more glorious reality where the way we have lived is affirmed and celebrated and understood to be of an eternal nature. See, the greatest danger of hypocrisy is that the hypocrite's view is not founded on the solid ground of reality. The hypocrite is pretending to himself or herself and to everybody else as well. Eventually the ground will shift and the truth will out. Those who pretend will be shown up for their pretense. They will experience a sense of nakedness and shame harking back to the garden. And those who have not been pretending will be seen for who they are. And they will be celebrated for their integrity and all they have offered to others. To me, it's a no brainer which one of these approaches to life makes more sense to live. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you call us into real life, not to pretend to be something that we are not, not to put on a show, a song, and a dance for an audience but to live into our lives in ways that are eternally good, that no matter what happens, we are glad to be doing that life that is ours to do. Help us to understand how to do that with greater and greater integration and integrity in every way, to the glory of your name. Amen.